Thanks for listening to the Waterstone Community Church Podcast. Welcome to the Great Prayers of the Bible series. Our calling is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. We are a growing movement of transformed people reshaping the culture to reflect God's heart. To learn more, please visit waterstonechurch.org. A reading from the book of 1 Samuel. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighted. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven sons, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of the anointed. The word of the Lord. Good morning. In the late 1940s, there was a young woman named Anna Mary, and she was attending Penn State University. She was a home economics major, and her desire in life was to be a product demonstrator. Her, her hope was that she was going to be someone who sold kitchen appliances. That was the hope of her life. But during her time at Penn State University, she developed a rare allergic reaction that whenever she touched metal, her skin would start to burst out in sores. And those sores would crack, and the, the, the crack would lead to bleeding. And the doctor said that there is no cure to this allergic reaction. The, the only remedy is that you don't touch anything that's metal. And so one of her professors who knew Anna Mary's desire to be a product demonstrator came to her and told her, I would never buy anything that your hands have ever touched. Anna Mary was crushed. She was despondent. She was feeling hopeless. Her dream in life had been dashed. And so Anna Mary, she, she came together with a plan to commit suicide, and she set the date for her suicide as that Saturday morning. 
And so that week, there were three different individuals who came up to her and invited her to an InterVarsity meeting that Friday night. InterVarsity is a college ministry. And, and so, yeah, these three individuals came up and invited her. And after the third one, she, she finally reluctantly agreed to go. But she thought in the back of her mind, well, I'll just still commit suicide tomorrow morning because what's the point? There's no hope. And so Anna Mary went to the InterVarsity meeting that Friday night. And that Friday night, they were doing a Bible study in the end of Mark chapter 1, where Jesus heals a leper. And the community was delightful, and they invited her back to the following week's InterVarsity meeting. And so she decided that, that she was going to push back her suicide date by, by just a week. She wanted to, to experience that community again. And so after several weeks of, of pushing back this, this date for suicide, Anna Mary finally decided that, that I want to give my life to Jesus. Her hands were, were somehow miraculously healed. When she touched metal, they, they no longer broke out in the sores and they no longer bled. The doctors were completely confused because that kind of severe reaction doesn't just go away that quickly. Anna Mary's life was transformed. It was transformed in such a way that, that her entire extended family became believers in Jesus. Anna Mary actually went on and she became one of the first female staff of InterVarsity. And she traveled nationally setting up InterVarsity ministries all around the nations at various colleges. And a few years into working for InterVarsity, she married a man named Bill Raymer. And a few years after that, she gave birth to my uncle and to my father. Anna Mary's legacy of faith had tremendous ripple effects for the kingdom. There are countless people who her life impacted, including my own. This morning, we're, we're going to continue on in our series of great prayers of the Bible. And this morning, we're going to be diving into the story of Hannah and her prayer. Hannah, likewise, was also a woman being pushed to the sides who was being downcast, and there was hopelessness in her life. And yet she turned to the Lord, and the Lord heard her prayer and it answered her prayer. Hannah's legacy of faith changed the, old, changed the history of Israel and hopefully us this morning as well. So the story of Hannah, it begins in the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. And this is one of the low points in Israel's history. Throughout the book of Judges, the, the book that comes right before, Israel is, is on this downward spiral. The wheels are coming off the train and everything is becoming a wreck. Foreign nations are invading Israel and they continue to lose. They're divided amongst themselves and, and they're fighting and there's, there's violence that's increasing in their towns and in their villages. They are no longer worshiping the Lord alone, but they are worshiping the foreign gods. And so at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, 
there isn't much hope for the nation of Israel. And so that, that's the context that the story of Hannah is in. And so Hannah, she's, she's this woman and she's married to a man named Elkanah. Elkanah has, has two wives. He, the text says that, that Elkanah loves his wife Hannah, but that the Lord had closed her womb. That Hannah was, was unable to bear any children. But Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, she, she had lots of sons and lots of daughters. And so Peninnah would come to Hannah and she would rub this fact in Hannah's face until Hannah would break down in tears and she would weep because there was nothing she could do. Now you have to realize that, that women in those days, their, their, their primary um, economic factor was having children. Having children meant that, that, you could, that you could farm, that you could have enough labor to help with the family and the family business or on the farm. And so having children was an essential aspect of the family. And so to be a woman who couldn't have children was to be a woman looked down upon, was to be a woman that, 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 that was pushed to the outsides of society. It was to be a woman who everyone else thought was cursed. And so Hannah, likewise, at the beginning of the story, is in a place of hopelessness. She's done everything she possibly can, and she is still barren year after year after year. While Peninnah continues to have children, she is pushed further to the sides. So my question, where do we go when life looks hopeless? When we're being pushed to the sides? When there's nothing else that we can possibly do in our life and everything still seems to be falling apart, where do we turn? Hannah, in this story, she, she turns and she turns to prayer to the Lord. Hannah's family, they, they traveled to Shiloh where, where the Lord's tabernacle was. And so Hannah comes before the Lord. She, she seeks him to intervene in her life. And so it says in 1 Samuel 1, 10 and 11, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. This is the prayer of a desperate broken, hopeless woman who has done everything in her power and she can't change her own circumstances. And so she's coming to the only one who can possibly change her life. She's bringing her circumstances to the Lord. This is a desperate prayer. She's asking the Lord, give me a son and I'll give him right back. But I just want a son. The story continues on. Eli, the priest who's, who's sitting there 
in front of the tabernacle is, is watching Hannah, is watch, watching the worshipers, and, and he sees Hannah, and, and, and he thinks that she's drunk. And so Eli tells Hannah, get out of here and stop drinking. And Hannah pushes back, and she says, no, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. I'm pleading my case. And so Eli kind of backtracks, and, and he gives a blessing on Hannah and, and a blessing on her request from the Lord. And so the story it continues on, that early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. This desperate, broken, hopeless woman, she brought her prayer, she brought her request to the Lord, and the Lord heard her. And the Lord was able and willing to intervene on her behalf. I think this story, it dispels three different reasons why we oftentimes don't come to the Lord with our prayers. I think that the first reason why we oftentimes don't come to the Lord with our prayers is that we wonder, does, does God even hear me? Is God, is God listening? I think that sometimes we, we think of God as, as kind of like being the character Bruce from the movie Bruce Almighty. Where, where Bruce is upset at God, and so God allows Bruce to be God for a couple of days and feel the weight of that responsibility. And so Bruce, he, he, he starts to receive prayer requests from people around the world as emails. And so first, uh, uh, there's a trickle of emails coming in, and, and Bruce starts typing away and replying and, and giving thoughtful responses and, and hitting send back and answering prayers in that way. But soon, the, the, the trickle becomes a torrent. And there's soon thousands and millions and, and even billions of prayers that are pouring in. And, and he's just completely overwhelmed by the number of prayers that are coming in that, that he just kind of throws up his hands and, and says, you know what, let's just hit reply all, type in yes, and hit send. And so everything falls apart after that. He walks outside and, and, and the world is like on flames. And there's a man holding up a lottery ticket and he says, I won the lottery, but I only won $3 because everyone else won as well. And so we see that, that in this movie that, that Bruce is overwhelmed by the prayers. And I think that sometimes we, we can think of God as being overwhelmed by the number of prayers that we lift up. But that is not the God we find in the Bible. The God in the Bible is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows every single hair on the top of your head. He hears every prayer that you pray, and he knows. Know that God hears your prayers. And I think the third objection, the third reason why we oftentimes don't come to God in prayer is, is hold on, I'm going to go back for just a sec. So I think that the, the name Samuel that Hannah gives her son brings an incredible amount of hope 
Because Samuel, it sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for God hears. God heard the prayer of this desperate woman. I think the second reason why we oftentimes don't come to God in prayer is we wonder, is God able? Is God actually powerful enough to intervene in the world? I think once again, we have some misconceptions about God. I think that sometimes we can think about God as as one of the, the Greek gods of mythology. Or maybe you might say one of the Avengers. That they're basically a human, that they've got cool superhuman powers, and they've got cool tricks up their sleeves, but they're still at the mercy of forces much greater than themselves. But the, but the God that we read about in Scripture is no mere demigod. He is the one true God who has created everything. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. There is no problem. There is nothing too big for God. God has all the power. God has created the world. He has rescued the Israelites from the mighty Egyptians. He has both closed Hannah's womb and he's opened Hannah's womb in a way that no one else could. So know that when you come to God in prayer, that God is able. He is powerful enough to intervene supernaturally in your life, and there is nothing too big for God. And I think there's a third reason why we oftentimes don't come to God in prayer, and and I think this is the one that I wrestle with the most. I think sometimes we wonder, is God willing to intervene in my life? Does God actually care enough about me to intervene? I think sometimes we, we can, even as believers, that, that we can adopt the secular worldview from our culture and, and we can start to, to behave like deists. And deists are people that, that believe, yeah, sure, there, there's a, a creator God who's transcendent and he's up there, but basically he's, he, he takes the hands-off approach. Deists, they believe that, that God is, is basically like a clockmaker. And the universe is a, a grandfather clock that, that God just, just winds up and then sets go. God is just a mere spectator. That, that He just wants to see how will this all turn out. He's not actually interested in interacting or intervening. He just wants to watch. He's a mere spectator. But once again... The God that we see revealed in Scripture is is a God who who is no mere spectator in the world. God God is interested in intervening regularly. He's, He's absolutely involved in the world. God intervenes in the life of Israel. God intervenes in the life of Hannah. And I think sometimes, sure, that that. Sure, God, God can intervene on, on maybe issues of, of international importance or maybe of, of issues of, of national importance, but, but would God really intervene in my life? I'm a nobody. Why would God, who, who is so big and so great and so powerful, why would he pay any attention to me? I'm no one. 
But it's interesting, once again, as we turn to Scripture, God, God actually seems to prefer to intervene in the lives of nobodies, outcasts, the least, the poor, the immigrants, the people who no one would have guessed. Those are the people that God chooses to use to turn the world upside down. Commentator Hannah, Hannah, hold on. Hannah is a woman that by all worldly standards is a nobody. She's in a faltering nation state. She's, she's a woman in a patriarchal society and she can't bear children. And yet God chooses to intervene in her life. Commentator Bergen, he writes, true power is to be found not in one's position in society, but in one's posture before God. Accordingly, the motif of appearance versus reality is prominent in this passage. Eli, who possessed, quote, spiritual competence because of his office, was in fact a spiritual bumbler. The spiritual powerhouse in this narrative was a socially impotent woman from the rural regions of Ephraim. Hannah alone understood the true power of undivided faith in the Lord. Furthermore, this passage suggests that spiritual power triumphs over social power. Socially powerless individuals can transform social institutions through faith in the Lord and in the process can triumph over their own circumstances. The Lord isn't concerned by our titles, by our social status, by amount, the amount of wealth or power that we wield. What God seeks what God values is whether or not our lives are given in allegiance to him. God so often intervenes in the lives of lowly and outcast and immigrant people that, that, that it's such a common theme that, that, that scholars have, have coined a, a technical term for it. And it's known as the upside-down kingdom. God is flipping the world on its head. He's raising up the poor and the powerless. And this is incredibly hopeful for those on the outskirts and on the edges of society because God values you. Too often we buy into the notion of karma that if I do good things, that good things will come back to me. And if I do bad things, that bad things will come back to me. And sure, there, there is this notion, and, 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 and it is true, that, that oftentimes there are natural consequences to our actions. But it's not a one-to-one -one ratio, is it? There are so many incredibly unrighteous people who are living in incredible luxury and, and have fantastic circumstances in their life. While on the other hand, there are so many righteous people who are living in the midst of unfathomably awful circumstances. Your circumstances do not determine what God thinks about you. And so if you are living in the midst of awful circumstances, know that God still loves you, that God still cares about you, and that God desires to raise you up. But also, on the other side, if you're living in, in fantastic circumstances, 
It doesn't mean that God is pleased with you. And so God, we find that, that he is willing to intervene in our lives. And it seems that he's especially willing to intervene in the lives of nobodies and outcasts. And so after all of this, I'm left wondering, and I wonder if, if maybe some of you too are left wondering, if, if God hears our prayers, and if God is able to intervene, and, and God is willing to intervene, why don't more of my prayers get answered as yes? I think once again we have several misconceptions about God and about prayer. I think one of them that I, I can sometimes fall into is, is I treat God as, as a genie, as my genie. And that all he is there for is, is to, to fulfill my wishes and to fulfill my life and to give me a good life. And I think the second, and this, this one's really bad, and I oftentimes can find myself doing this, is, is I can come to God and I can tell him, you know what, God? You owe me. I live a righteous life. I'm doing your work. I'm, I'm living my life for you. And so you owe me a good life. But the thing is, in both of these fantasies, I'm the one in control, and God is my subordinate. And in both of these, it's God is only there to give me a good life. And while on the one hand, you might say that, that God does desire us to have a good life, uh, uh, the problem is God's definition of a good life and our or my definition of a good life are a little different. My definition of a good life is, is that, that I would be healthy, that I'd be wealthy, that that life would be easy, that it would be full of, of luxury, and, and yeah, that life would be tremendously easy. Basically, my good life would be that I would be one of those Instagram people that, that get to travel the world and stay in the fanciest hotels, and you get paid to do that. That's my definition of a good life. The problem is, none of those things is on God's list of a good life. God's list of a good life consists of, of a life lived in allegiance to him, a life seeking his kingdom, a life seeking his justice, a life trying to raise up the poor and the needy, a life spent sharing God's love with people that don't know that he loves them and can't fathom that God would actually care about them. That is what God considers a good life. And the second problem is that God, he's not my subordinate. Who am I to think that I can control God and force him to do my bidding? He is the creator of the universe. He is the king of kings. And he is the king of this upside down kingdom. And as a king, he has an agenda. And his agenda is to see his kingdom come and to see his justice done. His first 
importance is not my personal happiness. We find that prayers that are often answered affirmatively in Scripture are prayers requesting that God's gracious and merciful character would bring his kingdom and his justice and to raise up the downtrodden. So Hannah, in her prayer of desperation to the Lord, she is praying for a justice issue. Peninnah, the other wife, keeps on shoving Hannah to the outskirts of society. She's being looked down upon. She's being... She's being shunned because of something that she can't possibly control. And so Hannah is crying out for justice. And also, Hannah is also crying out that God God would, would take his merciful character and allow her to fulfill one of his mandates. Back in Genesis 1, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. And Hannah is just wanting a child. And so that lines up with God's character. So God is the one who is in control. He is sovereign. And there's no magic formula that we can say or incantation to force him to do what we want him to do. He is God and we are not. God seems to intervene when when our prayers align with his character his kingdom purposes, and his justice. So a question for you. Are my prayers, and are your prayers, do they align with God's character, his kingdom purposes, and his justice? In the story of Hannah, God hears Hannah's prayer. God is able and willing to intervene in our life, and and Hannah can't help but burst into a prayer of praise to the Lord. Now, I want you to note that, that earlier on, after Hannah came to the Lord desperately praying and crying out, and before her, in, her prayer was answered, Hannah was worshiping the Lord. Hannah is a person that that worships the Lord whether or not the good gift has been given yet or not. Whether or not God has answered her prayer because she knows that God is worthy of her praise. And so Hannah, she, she bursts into praise in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 and 2. Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Hannah's prayer has a laser focus on praising God. Yes, she is thankful that she has been given a son, and yes, she is thankful that the stigma of being barren has been removed from her. But Hannah's focus is on praising God. Commentator Bergen, he writes, the object of Hannah's delight is neither herself, that she has overcome the disgrace of barrenness, nor her son. Instead, it is the Lord who is the source of both her son and her happy circumstances. 
I think that all too often that, that, that we can come to God like, like ravenous children awaiting Christmas morning. And that we desire the, the gifts waiting under the tree more than we desire the one who gives us the good gifts. And yet Hannah, she worships and praises the Lord. Her focus is on him and, and the good gift giver rather than the good gifts. Hannah also praises God because he is uniquely worthy of being praised. At the end of verse 2, it over and over says that there is no one holy like our God. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our rock. God is uniquely worthy of being praised. Hannah praises God because the object of Hannah's delight is neither or Yahweh is the one who has the power to transform and the willingness to intervene on behalf of the powerless. Both qualities are required. Power to transform without willingness to intervene ends in haughty transcendence. But willingness to intervene without power to transform ends in pitiful sentimentality. Yahweh is neither haughty nor pitiful but possesses as no other the combination of qualities and the inclinations that matter. Hannah is praising God because he is the one who is able to intervene, and he is also the one who is willing to intervene. There are times that, that I hear other people, and, and I have the heart, and I'm, I'm willing to intervene, but I don't have the power to actually do anything about it. But God alone is the one who has both the power and the willingness to change things. There are sometimes that people complain that, that God is he's just on a big ego trip when we praise him. That, that God is just seeking people to give him a pat on the back, maybe, maybe a confidence boost, maybe, maybe to, to boost his self-esteem. That's what he's looking for when we praise him. But that's to miss the essence of praising God. We can't help but praise those things that ought to be praised. Have you ever experienced a true masterpiece? Michelangelo's Pieta, Victor Hugo's Les Mis. And those masterpieces, they, they strike at the core of your being. And you can't go, help but go away, and you can't help but continue to think about it. And you can't help but, but share with other people that they have to go experience it for themselves. We can't help but praise those things that ought to be praised. In C.S. Lewis, in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, he writes, He, God, is that object to admire, which or if you like to appreciate which, is simply to be awake, to have entered the real world, not to appreciate which is to have lost the greatest experience, and in the end, to have lost all. Hannah realizes that to praise God is to enter reality because he is worthy of our praise. Hannah praises God because he is able and willing to shake the world up and flip it upside down in his justice. He, she continues on in 1 Samuel 2, 3 to 8. 
Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The, bows, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. God is sovereign. There is nothing too big for God, and so Hannah praises God that he is the one who is in control. He gets to do what he desires to do. But Hannah doesn't just praise God for being sovereign, but she praises him that he is the just judge. She continues on in 1 Samuel 2, 9 and 10. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. God isn't merely choosing to intervene indiscriminately. He's not flipping a coin and saying, yeah, I'll exalt you. Flips a coin and no, going to bring you down a peg. Just randomly. But God is the just judge. He is the one who knows. He is the one who weighs action. And so the proud and the powerful, God is watching to see how are you using your power and your status? Are you using them for my justice? And if not, God is not intimidated by your power and by your status. And for the, the hopelessness of the poor, God is not looking down on the outcast and the powerless and the poor and saying, you don't matter. But he's saying, I desire to lift you up to places of prominence. I desire that you would know that I love you. The last couplet of verse 10, it's, it's a fascinating finish to her prayer of praise. Hannah prays, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. But at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, there is no king in Israel. The son that, that God has just given Hannah, Samuel, he's the son that, that's going to eventually anoint the first two kings of Israel. And these two kings of Israel, they, they bring hope that God is on the move and that God is going to install these new kings who are going to bring his kingdom and his justice and hope for the poor and the powerless and the destitute. But unfortunately, these two kings, 
They are fallen human beings like you and me. Even David, a man after God's own heart, he is unable to bring God's kingdom to bear. He is unable to bring God's justice and he is unable to make things right. Yes, he he turns the needle maybe a little bit, but it's still a fallen world. But there's hope. David is promised an heir. David is promised that that one of his heirs will will become king for, for forever and reign over this kingdom for all eternity. And so God intervenes in a radical way in the way that you and I most desperately need. God sent his own son, Jesus, who is the most exalted to live amongst us. And Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived, and he died of the death that you and I should have died. The king of the universe lowered himself and died on a cross so that you and I, that if we believe, that we might inherit an eternal life in the presence of the king, in the presence of God himself, And we will reside with him in the new heavens and the new earth where his kingdom will be in its fullness. His justice will be in its fullness and all injustice will be wiped away. All tears will be wiped away. That is incredible hope. God is worthy of our praise because he hears our prayers. He is both able and willing to intervene when our prayers align with his character, his kingdom purposes, and his justice. And God has already intervened in an incredible manner on your behalf. So know that he is for you. And so at the end of of each sermon in this series on, on prayers, great prayers of the Bible, we, we want to offer an opportunity to pray and to practice that. And so I'm going to read two prompts about a minute apart, and that'll be something to reflect on in prayer and in conversation with the Lord. And then we'll end where we all read together a prayer. And so the first one, Come to God and ask God to increase in your heart a longing for his kingdom and his justice. And next, in light of God's character, his kingdom, and his justice, 
Come to God with your petitions, knowing that he hears you, he is able, and he is willing. And then will you join me in prayer? God, you are worthy of our praise because you are the only one who hears our prayers and listens to the cries of our hearts. We praise you that you are omnipotent and sovereign. None of our circumstances are too big for you. We praise you because of your steadfast love for us and your willingness to act on our behalf for your kingdom. All praise and glory unto you, Lord. Amen. To learn more about Waterstone, please visit waterstonechurch.org.